I want to encourage uh, those of you that are here, uh, if you would, to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 6. And uh, we're talking about a um, story when Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. My wife said to me, this is an odd Bible story to cover. I said, yeah, it is. I'm not sure why I picked it, but uh, it's not the most entertaining Bible story. I mean, Tower of Babel, Noah and the Ark, those are very exciting uh, but I feel like this is just extremely relevant, and maybe that's why. Uh, way back when, back in January or even before that, when I started the Bible Story series, I, I picked this one, and it landed on today. Uh, we use, uh, you don't have to, but a lot of us use the YouVersion Bible app, and if you happen to have that on your phone and you look for an event uh, near you, uh, you can follow along that way. Um, the text will be there. You can just open your own Bible or your phone Bible to Mark chapter 6 is where we'll be. So my dad didn't graduate from high school, but he held advanced degrees in pessimism. Do you know what I mean by that? (laughs) Yeah. Whether it was the Steelers or the Pirates, you know, the Steelers could be up 35 to nothing in the fourth quarter, and he could say, there's still time for them to blow this, right? And you can't imagine what he said about the Pirates. He loved them, but uh, wow. Yeah, he was a pessimist. And that cup Is it half full? Is it half empty? He might smile at you and say, that cup is bone dry, buddy. It hasn't had anything in it for a long time. Yeah. And I'm kind of the same way, you know? The cup is bone dry. It's never been bone dry. But even, let me say this again. It's never been bone dry. That's never been the case. But there's something inside me that feels like, yeah, it's bone dry. I don't know if you have that pessimism in your person or not. I have this, in, this struggle to cherish the good, to see the cool thing that happened and hold on to that and say, yeah, God is so good to me. And I, I frequently wonder in terms of my own ministry and our ministry as a church, am I making a difference? Because that's what I think I'm here for. Am I making a difference? And I think about our church, are we having an impact and inevitably inevitably, there's this pessimistic voice in my head that said, nope, you're not making a difference at all. You're not doing anything significant at all. I was thinking of that this week when Laurel and I were having lunch with some old friends. These are friends we've known for well over 30 years. They are not old, but they're longtime friends would be a better way to say that perhaps. They were passing through and they said, hey, We're passing through your way. You want to have lunch? And so we went to lunch with them. And in the midst of catching up, they were telling us about a ministry they're involved with, and we were telling them about our ministry here at Kerwinsville Alliance. And I I mentioned some things that you're familiar with. I mentioned we have a a young woman in our church who's headed to South America. And and, uh, the good people of Kerwinsville Alliance, along with some others, have already given more than enough money to fund that, and they're praying for her. You know, it is hard to see the glass is being bone dry when you see that. And then I talked about uh, how we have this problem that I mentioned earlier of children in our church. And uh, in 2022, that's kind of an odd thing for a church to have as many children as we do and how we need more volunteers because of that. And it's really hard to think of the glass as being half empty when you have children in your church in 2022. We talked about the scholarship that we do the Carla and Levi Rolls Memorial Scholarship from, that Kerwinsville Alliance is honored to be able to present, and how we go into the school. By the way, this year, 
Um, Mark McGonigal and uh, Alan Farley. Where's Alan? I don't see him. He's here. There he is at the back there. The two of them won, uh, Mark from Clearfield and Alan from Kerbinsville. And uh, we talked about how when we present that, you know, Eric has a thing that he reads where he talks about Christ and he talks about the gospel and, and, and hopes that, that these people make an impact for Jesus and that all of us can see Christ in that. And as I was telling those three stories, <clears throat> I noticed Dave was smiling. And if you knew Dave, you would know that Dave smile like. It's a smile that says, that is so cool, you know. And I noticed that Mindy's eyes were kind of beaming like, wow, that is so neat, especially when we shared about talking to students in, in high school. They loved hearing those things about Kerbinsville Alliance. And, and they would answer the question, is the ministry here making a difference with, yeah, yeah, the ministry here is making a difference. And I, I looked at that smile and those beaming eyes, and I thought, why don't my eyes beam like that? You know? I, I think part of the problem is I have become a little blind to the amazing things that God does in our lives. My day-to-day experience of those things can actually cause me to lose awareness of their value. And that contempt, I'm going to use that word a lot today, that contempt can be alarmingly dangerous. (laughs) We know it can be dangerous, And yet it's so common that we have this slogan, kind of a truism that we say, familiarity breeds contempt. And maybe that's what was happening in Mark chapter 6, in these first half dozen verses that I'm going to read today. If you have your Bibles open, follow along as I read half a dozen sentences or so here. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, let me pause for a moment. What would happen in this day in towns like Nazareth, where Jesus was raised, when any traveling rabbi or teacher who had established a little bit of a name for themselves came into town, they would say, why don't you read the scripture on the Sabbath and you can share from the scripture. And they kind of did what I'm doing now. I'm sure he didn't have PowerPoint. He might have been using uh, freelance graphics from Lotus or something from Corel back in the day. But uh, he, he would do kind of what I'm doing now. So that's what's going on. Verse 2 again. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his own relatives, and in his own home. And look at verse 5. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Now, as I talk to you about this, I want to talk to you about this word contempt. And, and I, I feel like there's really two kinds of contempt. They had contempt for Jesus. That's why I'm talking about it. The first kind is what I'm going to call blatant contempt. It's contempt that is active, and it's intentional, and it's focused. It's on purpose. You see it in sports. I think we have at least one Cincinnati Bengals fan here. Yeah, and he's proud of it, aren't you, buddy? Yeah, I'm happy for you. It makes me sick. 
Cincinnati Bengals had a receiver named T.J. Hushmanzada. And uh, he came into to Heinz Field, and he saw those terrible towels waving around. Do you remember this? And he picked one of them up, and he sat down on the, on the stadium floor, and he shined his shoes with it. Do you remember him doing that with the terrible towel? I was so mad. I'm like, what is he doing with the terrible towel? I was mad and I was jealous because that was really a great trolling move there. And I admire great trolling moves, right? It was perfect. I wish my team would have thought to do something like that. It was expressing contempt for your opponent. It was blatant. You see it in sports. You see it in legal dramas on television. One more word from you and I'll hold you in contempt. And that means you're showing disrespect for the court or the judge or the whole system. Blatant discontent. And the religious people... The religious leaders, I should say, they had that blatant, discon- that blatant contempt for Jesus, even in his own town. You saw it in verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they, they took offense at him, blatant contempt. Now, I'm guessing, because you happen to be in church on a Sunday morning, that none of you are here saying, yep, I got blatant contempt for Jesus. I don't think any of you feel that way. But there's a second kind of contempt. And that second kind is what I'm going to call subtle contempt. It's a more passive thing. It's an internal kind of thing. It's something that unless you are being spiritually alert, you might not even really notice in your thinking and in your heart. It seems unintentional contempt. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Not blatant but subtle contempt. Subtle contempt can show up as non-engagement. Non-engagement with something is a subtle expression of inner contempt. I have this for Hollywood, okay? (laughs) I have this for Hollywood. I don't read People magazine because I just have this contempt for that. And and when someone says to me, hey, did you see the Oscars? I say, he's in town again? You know, right? (laughs) I sometimes, though, see this subtle contempt in individuals regarding God. I might be speaking to someone, and I might say, hey, um, I saw your brother at church again the other day. He's pretty pretty regular at church. Uh, do you go to church? Where do you go? Yeah, that's not my kind of thing. That's his kind of thing. I really don't have any interest in that whole God, Jesus, and that kind of stuff. And what that is is a form of non-engagement. And if you have... And, and, and it's something you may or may not see as contempt, but it is. Let me explain why it is. Um, it is because of the cross. If you have the slightest inkling that God came in the flesh and allowed himself to be crucified on your behalf, and you just kind of shrug and say, yeah, my brother's into that. I'm not much into that. That's contempt. comes with non-engagement. Let me try to show you this in Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 2, and that's going to be on a screen in the middle. It's also in your Bible app. In Romans 2, the Bible's making a point that we know right from wrong. We know right from wrong, and we show that we know right from wrong whenever we respond to with, with indignation towards someone who's done something wrong. When we're like, oh, look, that's just wrong. I'm not watching that network again, you know? Okay, right from wrong. That's just wrong. I never would have done that. Like, he needs to be put away. Whenever we do that, we're, we're basically are saying we know right from wrong. And in Romans 2, God is saying you prove you know right from wrong when you pass judgment on others. What makes you think you're going to escape judgment? 
And then in verse 4, he says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Huh. Not realizing that it is God's kindness, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. In other words, are you just thinking everything's going to be okay? And you don't really need to give God any thought when he is holding out his kindness with both hands. If you are, that's contempt for the riches of his kindness. Let me give you another kind of contempt. A second kind of contempt is casual engagement. And that's kind of a subtle form of inner contempt. When I was in college, (laughs) some musicians... Uh, wrote about this in a new kind of music called Christian rock. (laughs) I really needed that music at 20 years of age. And I really needed the message as well. Do not be afraid, I'm not going to sing to you today. (laughs) The worship team is laughing the loudest. But I'm going to read these words, listen to them. It's more than a wish, more than a daydream, more than a passing whim. I don't want to waste my life in the chains of sin. I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want to live a newborn's life. I don't want to live a casual Christian life. This life is filled with strong distractions. One pulls from the left, one from the right. I've already made up my mind. I'm going to make a living sacrifice. I don't want to be a casual Christian. Casual Christianity It really doesn't make any sense at all if you believe the words of Jesus. I mean, none of us are casual eaters, right? (laughs) I eat pretty religiously, and it shows, right? We eat food every day, every day, every day. And as Christians, we follow this gentleman who happened to say, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's important to feed your body three times a day, maybe five if you're feeling like it. Five, six, somebody put up six fingers, yeah. But it's important to feed your spirit regularly, your soul regularly as well. Casual engagement with Christ is harmful to us because it's a subtle expression of inner contempt. Let me give you another form of subtle content. It's distracted engagement. One of the most flabbergasted flabbergasting parts of being married for my wife is telling me something and me not remembering that we had that conversation, you know? And you might think, whoa, Pastor Steve, he's getting older, he's starting to lose it, but I've been doing this since we were first married. Yeah. Where are you going, Laurel? Where are you going? She said, I told you yesterday, do you remember? Do you remember? The truth is, I don't remember at all. And do you know why that is? Because I wasn't listening. Because I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at the internet. I was thinking about a sermon. I was looking at my phone. I was looking at social media. I was dreaming about a vacation. I was thinking of maybe buying another hunting rifle. I have no idea that we had that conversation. Now, strangely, and I say this sarcastically, strangely enough, she finds that insulting. (laughs) It is. It is insulting. Because it's treating her or whatever it is she has to say with contempt in a very subtle way. And I'm sorry I do that, honey. I'll try to quit. Man, pray for a miracle. (laughs) While we may be the most distracted generation ever, 
this is not a new problem in Christian faith. In fact, Jesus spoke about this very problem. When he was telling the parable of the sower, he talks about the seed that falls here, there, and the other place. And, and at one point in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, he said, the seed falling along the thorns refers to the gospel. It refers to someone who hears the word. But two things, look what they are. The worries of this life, yeah. And the deceitfulness of wealth, yeah. Choke out the word, making it un fruitful. He's talking about the subtle contempt of distraction. Non-engagement, casual engagement, distracted engagement. All of that is subtle contempt, and it's so sneaky. And maybe even it's more dangerous than blatant engagement, because of, or blatant contempt. Because if I'm blatantly contemptuous regarding God, someone's going to call me out on it. But if it's subtle, I might not even notice it. And I might need someone to help me see it because it's so tricky. In fact, sometimes it's even hard to see the problem with contempt. But our Bible story kind of reveals it. Part of the problem is it prevents you from honoring God. The people in the story are demonstrating contempt for Jesus. Isn't this that carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son? Notice they don't call him Joseph's son. Perhaps Joseph has passed away by this time. We don't know. But even if he had, you should have called him Joseph's son. That was a proper thing to do in that society, but they didn't do that because they're operating from a position of contempt. Aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and his sisters, aren't they here with us? And that last sentence, they took offense at him. Taking offense at Jesus is kind of the polar opposite of trusting him and having faith in him. And if you have contempt, even small, subtle contempt, the kind we've just spoken about for Jesus, you're going to have trouble trusting him. In our Bible story, think about this for a minute. In our Bible story, they've invited Jesus, this visiting preacher, rabbi, teacher that they've heard about. They've invited him, hey, in synagogue, why don't you speak? And he does. He gets up and speaks, and he says really profound things, and their response is to take offense at him. And and Jesus responds. He says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and even in his own home, because familiarity breeds contempt. It's just a fact of reality, and it can keep you from honoring God. But a problem that you might have felt more personally is that contempt can prevent you from receiving blessing. The Bible story that we read was from Mark 6, and it says in verse 5, he could not do. Think about that sentence for a minute. This is Jesus Christ who created the cosmos, could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Look how Matthew phrases it. Matthew and Mark telling the same story. Matthew says it this way. He says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I read a lot of commentaries this week and kind of like, what is that lack of faith thing and how does that apply to him not being able to do miracles? And probably the worst understanding of this, the most heretical understanding of this is, yep, faith is where God gets his power. When we have faith, then God has power. And you can read such nonsense as that in the works of Douglas Adams. If you know, you know, right? But if you're reading a theological text by anybody who has the slightest touch of the Holy Spirit within them, you're going to see that faith does not empower God. God has power whether he, that we have faith in him or not. 
I mean, you read passages like Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where it says these words. It says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. You, if, you don't, if you're not asking, if you're not imagining it, then you don't have any faith that it's going to happen, but he's going to do it. So he is powerful regardless of our faith. It's completely pagan to think otherwise. When I think about this, then, well, what is Jesus saying? Why, why, does, why does Matthew and Mark phrase it the way they do? I kind of get this picture of Jesus kind of dealing with these people who have no faith, and he's amazed. There's two times he's amazed. One time he's amazed at how much faith this guy has, and then another time he's amazed at how little faith these people have. Only two times in Scripture I've found that Jesus is amazed by anything. They have no faith. And I can see Jesus saying something like this. I can't help you if you won't trust me. I can't help you if you won't come to me. Contempt prevents you from receiving the help that Jesus wants to offer you. I want to avoid it with all my heart. Let me give you a third problem with contempt, and that is that it increases pain in life. You might not think this to be the case, but it does. used to be a publication. I would read it from time to time if I was in a doctor's office or if I happened to be in a library called Psychology Today. It was a reputable publication, quite popular, uh, the paper edition of it. Since the internet, they have a website now, and you can read a lot of things on there that I think a lot of professionals would say, what? What are they publishing that for? I did find something on there, though, that is very, very quote-worthy. It's by uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen Stosny. He's warning people of the danger of contempt for other people. Like if you have contempt for your son-in-law, or if you have contempt for your neighbor, or contempt for your boss, or contempt or contempt for your teacher or your students, he, he, he says, that contempt is dangerous for you. He, he says this, let me just read, he says, contempt lowers the efficiency of the immune system and often co- causes minor physical ailments, coughs, colds, aches, pains, severe physical symptoms, and chronic exhaustion. You got any of those? Contempt causes that. That's just weird. Now, Stosie is talking about contempt for another human being and an active, blatant kind of contempt, but I feel pretty confident that contempt for God is a bigger deal, even if it's subtle. Even if it's subtle. And I'm suggesting that if you have this, this subtle contempt for God, if you've allowed it to creep into your life, and you never even realize it, it's not like the decision you made, it, it just happened, it just came there, it kind of surprises you that it's there. But if you have that, that increases your misery in your own life. Look how the Bible story ends. In verse 6, it says, he was amazed at their lack of faith, and then he just walked away. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. They received nothing from him. All they're left with is pain. (laughs) So contempt can be something we all struggle with. Probably not active, blatant contempt, but passive, subtle contempt that maybe we don't even notice creeping into our hearts and into our lives, something we struggle with. So let's talk about how do we avoid that? How can we avoid it? I'm going to give you three, three keys to avoiding it. One or two of them come right from the passage. The first one is this. Keep your perspective of God fresh. Keep your perspective of God fresh. These people knew Jesus. He'd grown up in that town But their perspective of God was yesterday's perspective. Their perspective of Jesus, I should say, was yesterday's perspective. It was stale. And they needed the new perspective he was offering. Hmm. A new perspective that he's offering. I've said this several times in the past several months because it just strikes me. Laurel, I've been married to her for 180 years. It feels that way to her. 
Here's the sentence. She still finds ways to amaze me. We'll be sitting downstairs crashing in front of the television, watching Seinfeld for like the thousandth time, a rerun, right? And, uh, and she'll say something about the show that'll just crack me up. I have to pause so we can quit laughing, and then we keep going. I said to her, I love you. You just surprise me all the time. She does. And it's a fresh perspective that I have of her, something new I see in her. We've never watched Seinfeld together. Uh, we've watched it separately here and there, but we've streamed all nine seasons. There's like six episodes left. We're going to throw some kind of a grieving ceremony at the end when we don't have any more Seinfeld. Right. I want to say this, though. <clears throat> if I would just sit there playing my video game, or if I would just stay on social media, or if I would just binge watch my own Netflix stuff, or if I was just stuck in sports or whatever, I will miss all that in my wife. I need to be actively engaged with her in order to keep a fresh perspective of who she is. And I fear that a lot of marriages that fail have not done that. And if it's important to do that with your spouse, how important is it to do that with God? And if your spouse is able to amaze you after 180 years of marriage, think how how much amazement God can bring into your life because he's God. So look for those things. Look for what he's trying to show you and teach you, especially when you're going through hard times. And you might miss it the first time and then you come back like, whoa, that's it. I'm reading a book right now. I read it years ago. And when I finished reading it, I gave it to some friends of mine. I gave it to uh, my father-in-law, for example. I said, would you read that? That's a Christian book. I think it's Tyndale House or something like that. I can't find a Christian thing in it. And they read it and they said, yeah, it was a pretty good book. And, and so just out of the blue, Laurel mentioned, I said, I'm going to read that again. I started reading it again. I see Christian things in it right and left. I guess I wasn't ready for it before, right? And I have this fresh perspective of God because I've engaged that literature, that Christian literature that way. <laughs> you know, I really want to keep a fresh perspective on God. When I do that, it keeps me away from subtle contempt. Here, here's another key in this. Get to know God more deeply. Consistently get to know him more deeply. The people in our Bible story had invited him to come and, and be present, to bring them the word, and then to speak about the word. And Jesus has done both, but they're not listening. And their depth of understanding is stagnant. They're not growing deeper in the faith. It's stagnant. And to avoid that, do what you're doing right now. Find yourself in places like this with a heart that's open to biblical teaching. To do that, read the word of God, the Bible. See what he has to say to you. Read good Christian literature. Listen to good Christian podcasts. A buddy of mine said to me the other day, I, I need a good Christian podcast to listen to. Can you point me to any? I'm like, yeah, my sermons. He's here every Sunday for my sermons. He's hungry. He wants more. I thought about it for a week or so, and then I said, what about, what about Tim Keller? Tim Keller has podcasts, and he listened to those for a week or so. Tim Keller, if you don't know, he's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Excellent Bible teacher. Excellent. He listened to those for a week or so. He came to me and he said, oh, that stuff's good. That stuff's good. Grow to know God more deeply. Christian books. Let me just warn you here, okay? Don't find your Christian books on Amazon.com. You know why? They have everything from fruit to nuts, right? They do. There's no screening process there. So it can be just about anything. If you want a starting place, christianbook.com might be better 
because, and I think I'll put a link to that in your uh, Bible app. It's not that you, I agree with everything they publish, you know, I'm not saying that, but you're not going to find anything about Buddha there trying to sell you that. You're not going to learn about Muhammad and, and jump, jump into another faith, at least there. You want to get real practical? I have a suggestion for you. My wife bought me a book a long time ago, a couple years ago, called, uh, well, the name of it is A Gentle Answer. It's by Scott Sauls. Uh, he was with Tim Keller for a while. Now he's in Nashville. Listen to the title of this book, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. So during the pandemic, our Saturday morning men's group was reading that. We're sitting on my back porch reading it. It was really relevant during the pandemic, a world of us against them. Thank God we're over that and we're no longer in that kind of world, right? You listening? Did you catch the sarcasm there? We still live in a world of us against them. That's a great book. So grab a hold of that. Grab a book like that. Connect with other believers who want to get to know God more deeply. You know, here at Kerbinsville Alliance, we have three adult small groups that meet at 9.30 on Sunday morning. It's a great way to get to go know God more deeply. We have a ladies' Bible study that kind of comes and goes. Uh, we have a couple of them that do that. Uh, Saturday morning, I'm sorry, Thursday morning, uh, that begins in the fall. Uh, here at the church. And Wednesday evening, I think one of those groups just finished up. They're deciding what to do next. That information will be in this publication. So give some thought to that. Uh, there's some guys who meet around a campfire. <laughs> in the wintertime, we meet in a garage or a basement. But we meet around this campfire, and, and we we talk about our lives, and we pray, and we eat, and we look at the Bible, and we eat some more, and we talk about what the Bible means to us, and we eat some more. And, and we have a great time growing in the faith, it's a great way to grow. There, there's another group of guys that on Saturday morning, they go to Dutch Pantry. And they sit in the corner there in Dutch Pantry. They save that spot for us because every Saturday morning we're there. And, and those guys, I'm telling you, if I had the books, I'll bet the stack of books would be that high that those guys have read. It's remarkable. They're reading a real skinny one right now. It's called uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. They weren't sure they liked it at first, but they like it now. It's a good book. All of those are, are ways to do, number two, on a PowerPoint, get to know God more deeply. Whatever works for you, do it to avoid letting a subtlety of contempt enter your heart and mind with your familiarity with what you already know about God. I'll give you one more. Practice saying yes to God. So we live in a culture that bombards us with opportunities and demands. I, I don't know who I was just talking to. I think it was someone in the back there. Oh, it was Janessa. Janessa said, I hate that ding on my phone. How many hate the ding on your phone? Put your hand up. Amen. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and it's not just your phone. It's everything is bombarding you with information. And, it's, and, and we're at a point as a society where you could try really hard to bail out of that, but what that's going to do maybe is just make it worse because now you don't have the information, but you still have the demands, right? And it happens with good things like school and like music, and like sports. Do this, do that, do the other thing. You know, when our kids would come home from school, the, the teacher with the best of intents says, you all should sign up for this. This is a great thing. And our kids were little, they didn't have any discernment. And they're like, yeah, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to do the other thing, you know. And, and I'm stupid, so I'm like, okay, but Laurel's really smart. And Laurel would say, nope, you got to pick this many. This is how many you can do, and no more. And what happened in our lives is I noticed we learned to say no. You have to learn to say no. We can't do that. No, I don't want that. No, I'm not going to enter into that argument. No, I'm not going to do this. 
And we become experts at saying no. And then when God says, hey, can we talk for a minute? No, I am really busy. No, I don't want to say no to God. He's the last one I want to say no to him. He's the last one I want to say no to, God. I never want to have a heart that is closed to the things of God. So when I open my Bible, I say, speak to me, God. And as his, he speaks to my heart, I'm on a heart that says yes. And as I read a good Christian book and I sense his spirit speaking to me, yes, I want to say yes. And even when I come to church, as, as the music plays and worship plays, and as my mind is on 101 things, getting ready and being up here in front of you, and, and during the prayer time, and even during the sermon, I want to say yes. Now, that might strike you odd. During the sermon, you're giving the sermon, right, Steve? I cannot believe. I probably get more from the sermon than any of you. And it's not just because I wrote it. But there are times I'll be preaching the sermon, and I will so strongly feel like, oh, that's for me. That is for me right now that I wonder if I said that out loud, (laughs) you know? And I want to, when I hear that, I want to say yes, yes, yes. You can avoid contempt, subtle contempt. You really just need to want to. This past week, um, the men who'd been meeting in garages and so on, we had our first time to meet at Eric's. We were around the campfire together. Cracked me up. It was 65 degrees, and like three of them showed up in shorts. They were right up against the fire, man. The rest of us were back. Just uh, cracked me up. Oh, you were in shorts too, weren't you, Eric? Well, you could have gone inside and gotten dressed, though. Okay. So there we were at Eric's place. I don't know if you've ever been to Eric's, but it's on a hilltop. And you can look over kind of across the valley to another hilltop, and that's where the sun goes down. And we're there as the sun's going down. And, And I had a moment. You know what I mean by that? I just had a moment. I'm sitting there, and I looked over my shoulder intentionally because I wanted to to see that view. I said, I have missed that view. And that sunset and that horizon, the the almost black green of the trees that form the horizon and the brilliant radiance of the sun going down and the blue and pink in the sky, that line between the two was razor sharp. You know what I'm talking about? Just so crisp, because there was no clouds. It was that kind of an evening on Thursday. And I silently thought to myself, Whew, I miss this view. The heavens declare the glory of God indeed. The skies perform, proclaim the work of his hands. And then I thought to myself, But by July, I'll be pretty used to it. In fact, I feel real confident that come July, I'll sit down in my chair and I won't bother to turn around and look at that sunset. I'm not saying I have some kind of act of contempt for it, but what will happen is a subtle contempt will creep into my heart as I allow my familiarity with that beauty, I allow, my, I allow that familiarity to cause my appreciation to fade. Because of how grand God is. Because of the greatness of his gift to us in Jesus. Because of his position high above the cosmos. Above every sunset that will ever happen and has ever happened. 
because of the cross of Christ where he poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. If I let that happen in my relationship with God, that is nothing short of contempt. Contempt. It's not blatant, but it's contempt. And I want to avoid that with all my heart. And I want to pray that you can do the same. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for who you are and the greatness of your love. We are thankful for songs that speak of how good it is to know you and and how we walk with you and talk with you. Sometimes we do that so frequently, it's, it's as though we kind of forget to value it. Forgive us for that. <laughs> Forgive us for allowing the subtlety of contempt to enter our hearts. It is not something we would intentionally want to do, like, yeah, I'm done with that. We're not that kind of people. But it is something that we could carelessly allow to happen. Prevent that. Help us to avoid that. May we seek a fresh perspective of you regularly. May we look into your word and get to know you more deeply. And may we have an attitude that says yes to you consistently. May we choose to avoid the subtle contempt that may want to creep into our spiritual lives by the power of Christ who is in us. Amen. Amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.